Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast, where we like to drink beer and talk football. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and on today's episode, we discuss the mess that is the Dallas Cowboys, and is Mike McCarthy toast in Big D, and is the Patriots run over in New England we're also going to recap the overtime thriller on Sunday night football between the Cardinals and Seahawks, PGF power rankings, fantasy football with what's on tap with Chad Smith, our pick six betting picks, and much more. Joining me to do so, the man, the myth, the legend, Chad Smith. What is up, Chad? Number one in your program, number one in your heart, the town favorite. I'm just kidding, Brad. Great to be on with you as always. You are the man. And wow. As much of the weekend college and pro, some teams came out very surprisingly at the college ranks, and you looked at some teams dominate. Michigan stepped up. We previewed the Michigan-Minnesota game last week. I mean, really great football from them. Ohio State looked like Ohio State, but golly, the dumpster fires that are ongoing with the NFL, primarily Dallas and the New England Patriots, a team that I don't think anybody this first year coming out of this Brady-Belichick divorce, especially when you look at Brady just continue to gel and connect with his receivers. Godwin's out again with a broken finger. Scotty Miller stepped back up. He'll get picked up by everybody on fantasy. Then he'll probably have one catch next week. Uh, They're signing Antonio Brown. Huge deal. Want to get your thoughts on that. Bringing him in. Des Bryant just signed with the Baltimore Ravens to the practice squad. Been out of football for two years. But a lot of people have said they need that big physical wide receiver because they just don't have it in Hollywood Brown. He's the guy that's got the Jets. And you're talking about a bunch of other no-names with Willie Sneed and people like that. So I think bringing in Des could bring some toughness to the locker room. But man, the the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, Brad, damn. I, I don't know what to make of it. The, the, the writing was on the wall from the game last week when the Rams just obliterated them getting to Dalton and just making life miserable for him. Then you knew that ferocious pass rush that the Washington Redskins were going to bring could cause some trouble. They have no run game. Their offensive line is in shambles. Jerry Jones basically ripped the head off of the two guys that I guess he's got some contract where he's obligated to do this call-in radio talk show. And they were just trying to ask him some simple questions that I think were great journalistic type questions that needed to be asked. And those guys had enough balls to do it. And Jerry like just got pissed and told him to like shut up and move on. Next question. I'm not answering that. Talking about like, where's the identity in the locker room? Is Mike McCarthy a one and done? Has he lost this team? And I think he has, Brad. I think Mike McCarthy is a picture perfect example of someone who maybe was a really good coach at one time, had a great quarterback in quarterbacks in Favre and Rodgers, and had a great program in Green Bay. I mean, they're a great organization, but I think his time has passed him by. These younger coaches, looking at Sean McVay this year, making the adjustments he's made, Cliff Kingsbury, Phenomenal overtime win, even though we got to talk about that dumbass move to kick the field goal when the uh, Seattle Seahawks defense was totally gassed. Uh, But, I mean, there are so many of these younger coaches that just have a vision. Mike McCarthy looks lost on the sidelines. I mean, mask or no mask. He just, I think his time has passed by. Jerry's going to probably try to stick with his man because he doesn't want to get egg on his face. But it's time to cut bait. I mean, I'm not saying you fire the guy in the middle of the season. But something's got to give. He has lost that locker room. Jane Slater's tweeted about it. And then you just think about where they are. And, I mean, I know this is probably one of those deals where when Andy Dalton got his clock clean, horrible hit. The play shouldn't have happened. But nobody came to his defense. Nobody even went and shoved the dude or, like, slammed him to the ground and said, hey, like, dude, what is up with that? The guy's laying there. I mean, he doesn't even know where he is. And everybody's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Who's going to be the quarterback now? We're getting our ass kicked 22 to 3. We don't care. And really saw a lot of that in the Patriots, too, transitioning to them. Just San Francisco went in. I've watched the Patriots for 10, 15, 20 years, all the way back to the Teddy Bruschi days. I've never seen a football team run it down the Patriots' throat the way the Niners did Sunday. Cam looks lost. I know he dealt with COVID. 
but they didn't report that he had anything going on with COVID. And so you're sitting here wondering, like, what the hell has happened to the Patriots? I mean, I'm just thankful that I took them week one in Survivor and they won because there would be no way if somebody's not used the Patriots yet that you could use them this year because I can't trust them. And I Belichick has come out and said that they may be sellers. So there's a lot of moving parts. But, I mean, one other big thing to talk about is the trade deadline and talking about this A-B signing with Tampa Bay. And so I want to get your thoughts on A-B signing, get your thoughts on the Cowboys, the uh, the Patriots, and the trade deadline. Who do you think might be buyers and who do you think might be sellers, Brad? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, Chad, but I love your takes. And I want to touch on a few of them real quick. For one, something you said really struck me was the Cowboys saying, we don't care. You are completely right, Chad. Dalton getting smoked, and they did. They look like they don't care. They look like they've thrown in the towel and they've quit on this team. That buzz in the media is starting to get louder and louder, and it just looks... This team is a mess. There's no way around it. This team is a mess. Things keep getting worse in Big D. And you can make all kinds of excuses for the Cowboys. They're missing four starting offensive linemen. I get that. The Dak injury was big. But here's the thing. They weren't any good with Dak. Let's not forget that. The defense is atrocious. Outside of maybe Seattle, this is probably the worst defense in the entire league. This team, like I said, they look like they've thrown in the towel. They have no effort at all. I don't see any fight in this team at all. And if the NFC East winner has only six or seven wins, and I think that's more than likely going to be the case, and it's not the Dallas Cowboys, I think it would have to be considered, Chad, the biggest failure of the season. Now, we knew Washington and New York were rebuilding. They're young teams, new coaches. We, we kind of saw that coming. But nobody thought Dallas was rebuilding going into this year. And the thing about New York and Washington, they're not great teams, but they appear to be improving every week while Dallas is imploding. It's a total shit show. In Dallas, I mean, we have already banged. My knuckles hurt from beating up on the Cowboys on this podcast, but I had to come on the show today and talk to you about it because that effort I saw was absolutely horrendous against Washington. Mike McCarthy does look lost. I mean, he he has like he looks like he has no clue. I think the game has passed him by. He's not innovative. He keeps trying to sell everyone on oh, I'm into analytics and this and that. No, you're not. That's that's like the fat guy telling you he runs after work. No, you don't. You go to Carl's Jr. and get a cheeseburger and a Big Macs at McDonald's. Don't tell me you're running after work. We know you're not. It's just ridiculous, Chad. This team is ridiculous. Mike Nolan's system is a joke. This team is a joke. I, I, I have no hope for Dallas. I, I think they're a total mess. And you talked about sellers at the deadline. If Dallas was smart, I think they should be sellers. And the guy that I would sell is Michael Gallup. Now, this is a good player, and he's a very good receiver. But you've got an abundance of riches at wide receiver. They've got four good receivers, and they've got holes all over this roster. It kind of reminds me of a guy, a rich guy living up in the mountains, big house on the hill. He just bought his third convertible, and now there's eight feet of snow on the ground, and he can't get to work. He should have bought the SUV, and that's exactly what happened when they took C.D. Lamb in the draft. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong, and he's going to be a good receiver in this league for a long time, but you didn't need C.D. Lamb. You're not winning games because of C.D. Lamb. When Dak was in, they were putting up video game numbers, and they still couldn't beat anybody. So I think it's time. Then the reason I say Gallup is because he's got he's going to have to get a big contract here soon. He's going to be due for a big deal. He's going to want big money. So you might as well trade him now and start looking towards the rebuild. Start bringing in some draft capital that you can start filling some of these holes because it is a total freaking mess in Dallas. But I want to shift also to the New England Patriots because this is a team that early on in the season, when they brought in Cam, they looked pretty good. And uh, this podcast included, we thought, wow, this might work in New England. This team, you know, Belichick might actually have something here. This team might be sneaky good and might not be as bad as we thought. They looked like a playoff team, quite frankly, early on. But that win versus Seattle is now a mirage because we know now looking back that Seattle's defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. And so Cam putting up those big numbers and the Patriots putting up 30 on the Seahawks defense, well, that's just the norm week in and week out with Seattle now. 
So it's really not that that impressive. And the wheels have really come off in the last few weeks for New England. This team just is not competitive. It's shocking to see with a Belichick team. And they've got Buffalo next week. If they lose that one, I think it's all men overboard on this one. But I want to touch on the Antonio Brown signing. This is definitely shocking to me because I don't think they need Antonio Brown. Now, it's not that I don't get bringing in a playmaker like Antonio Brown, but the Buccaneers are really starting to get it going. And my biggest fear, if I'm the Tampa Bay Bucs or a fan of the Bucs, my biggest fear would be, is he going to come in and become a locker room cancer? This is a guy who's really been disruptive on the last few teams he's played for. He's a huge diva. He's a huge personality. I just don't know how this is going to play in the locker room. And this is a team that's really starting to click, like I said. So is Antonio Brown going to be okay two or three weeks from now when he's getting three targets? Is is he going to throw a fit on the sideline and start kicking over Gatorade containers and, and become a big locker room cancer? Or is he going to be a guy who's going to come in and play his role and be happy to be on an NFL team and on a winning NFL team? It's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out, certainly. I want to ask you this, Chad. From a fantasy football standpoint, do you think there's any value with Antonio Brown, or is it just too risky, too early to tell? What's your feeling on this one? Great question, Brad. When he was in his Pittsburgh days, I mean, he was one of the top players in any position. I think if you take that half of a game that he was connecting with Brady in New England, it put up like 15 fantasy points. So I think Brady wanted him and and liked him enough to convince Arians to say, we got to bring this guy in. And I thought it was, I kind of chuckled when Arians said, I, I, we think that he's matured. I'm like, he's already a grown ass adult. He should be mature already, but whatever. Sometimes you give somebody Skittles and then they just, the, like the kid gets happy and they're not screaming in Walmart anymore. But I mean, when it comes to Antonio Brown, you've got the running game in place now with Jones and Fournette. You've got Gronk emerging. O.J. Howard's going for the year. You have Cameron Bray. You've got Evans. Godwin's out with the finger, but he'll be back. And Scotty Miller, he's that little kind of Julian Edelman, Wes Welker to Brady. You're going to bring in Brown now, and I'm with you. When Brown is not going to be the king on the mountain, how will he react in the locker room? And can that cause a divide when he's not getting 8, 9, 10, 12 targets and putting up numbers because he's more like, He's got that video game mindset. So if you've got room on your bench and you can stash him, you don't have to spend a lot of your fab money, or you maybe already went out this week and got him before the news really broke because Seattle was talking to him before he signed with Tampa Bay, stick him on your bench. Let him have a week or two, see how he does, see how he connects. He's got to finish his eighth game suspension. Then he's got to go through COVID testing. So you're really looking at week nine, week 10. Am I going to put this guy in my lineup week 12, week 13, if I've got to win to get into the playoffs or if I'm in the playoffs, do I, do I stick him in my starting lineup? Depends on the injuries and other things that you may be dealing with. You may have to start him. But for me, I'm going to avoid him just simply because it's too much risk, too much reward. He might give you 25 or 30 points one game, and then Brady may throw one pass to him the game after that when you really need him to produce, and then you lose. I want somebody that I know is going to consistently get targets because they have the chemistry, they have the connection with the quarterback, and you know the ball is going to be going to them. And I don't know if you can say that with Antonio Brown in Tampa because, again, you mentioned it, too many mouths to feed. I don't know who's going to get the football there. But did it also diminish Evans, Godwin, Miller, and Gronk a little bit because you start spreading out targets even more and somebody's getting no more than four, five, six targets a game? It's a hell of a – tough uphill climb to make yourself fantasy relevant if you're not getting the football thrown to you more. Yeah, and I I like your take on that, Chad, because I think you're right. When you're talking about fantasy, consistency is king. And I've never been a big fan of boomer bust guys when it comes to fantasy football. Those guys, like you said, that can give you a big week and then they're a no-show the next week. Those guys are hard to put in your lineup and feel good about. So I, I agree with you. I think he's maybe worth a deep roster add, a flyer, maybe take a flyer on him. Maybe if there's some injuries on your fantasy team, maybe you have to play him. Maybe he's a guy that you can roll the dice with a little bit. But yeah, I don't have a whole lot of faith in him either as far as a fantasy football producer. But I wanted to take a look, Chad, at this game with you or recap this game with you, I should say, that Sunday night thriller that we had, Seahawks-Cardinals. Cardinals pulling out the win, 37-34 in overtime. I kind of felt this coming for weeks now, Chad. 
34 points by the offense wouldn't be enough to beat a team with an explosive offense of their own. Now, I, I've talked about the de the defense in Seattle repeatedly on this podcast. We both have. And I figured eventually they're going to run into an offense that can really score a dynamic team, and they're going to be in trouble. And it showed up in this game. The Seahawks' defense is, quite frankly, why they aren't a legit contender. Zero sacks versus Arizona. They simply have no pass rush, Chad. None. They can't get after the quarterback at all. They've got no run defense. They have no secondary this team is all Russell Wilson. He's got to be virtually perfect for them to win games. Neither team has a very good defense in this matchup. Neither one of them really is great on defense, but the Cardinals made more plays on that side of the ball, especially both stops in overtime were huge versus the Seahawks. Kyler Murray came up big, 360 yards, four total touchdowns. This NFC West is deep. But the Cardinals, like I said prior on a prior episode on this podcast, they're starting to look like a playoff team, Chad. What'd you make of this game? Wow. I basically had, well, Stafford and Murray both really delivered in DFS. If you had them in FanDuel or DraftKings, I'm, I made Murray my kind of like prime pick of the week. He put up like 38 or 39 points in FanDuel. So if you use the money there on him, great for you because he really, there were times where he looked unstoppable. We had that one throw that just made no sense. And it was right after they picked off Wilson. And I'm like, oh, you don't turn the ball back over right there and give Seattle a short field. But you mentioned the NFC West, and I want people to think about this. San Francisco, I think, is a complete team. They're dealing with a rash of injuries. They've already lost Bosa. Wilson went down with an ankle injury. Don't have Mostert. Don't have Coleman back. Debo Samuel went down again. But the San Francisco 49ers are 4-3 and three in the NFC West, and they're in fourth place. Why? Because the Rams are 5-2. and two, Arizona's 5-2, and two, and Seattle's now 6-1. and one. So the Cardinals beating the Seahawks brought the Seahawks back closer to the rest of that division. And they were talking about on Sunday Night Football. I think you have a legit, realistic shot because the rest of the NFC kind of sucks, really, if you think about it. With the extra playoff spot going into the NFC, there's a potential that all four of the NFC West teams get into the playoffs. I mean, I think that division is that good, and it's that much better than every other division in the NFC. But with the game specifically, you had mentioned it. I'd mentioned it. At some point, the defense has to step up. I know they're still missing Adams. I don't know if he makes that much of a difference. He really blitzes and puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. That didn't help or wouldn't help one bit against a guy that's got great legs like Murray. And he showed his legs. He showed his arm. He showed his ability to, to lead this team. And now they're going to be without Chris Carson maybe for a couple of weeks. And now you're stuck with Carlos Hyde, no Rashad Penny yet. And he's still coming off the ACL. Travis Homer, Russell Wilson is going to have to be perfect. Metcalf, Lockett, Moore, Wilson at tight end, Olsen at tight end, Disley. They've got to be perfect on offense and try to get those one or two stops on defense, and they can't. And Russell Wilson looked a little bit human, threw in two multiple interceptions. First time in a long time. I just think when you look at Seattle, I just don't know if they're a complete football team right now. I had them higher in the power rankings previously than you did because you kept speaking to that, that defense that is just so suspect. And it showed. It really reared its ugly head. When they had a chance to get that last first down and close out that game, they couldn't. They punted. Arizona drove the field, kicked a game-tying field goal. Arizona stopped them, drove straight back down, couldn't stop them again to, for that game-winning field goal with like a minute left. That's how bad that defense is. They were gassed. They were tired. They were out of shape. They were trying their best to sub people in and out, and it still wasn't enough. Because you're not going to stop a, a good offensive team like that. And can we talk about Chase Edmonds? Gosh, almighty, the kid came in relief from Drake, who was getting the majority of the carries till he got hurt. Put up 140 all-purpose yards. For me, moving forward, even when Kenyon Drake goes back, Chase Edmonds needs to be the starting running back in Arizona because the team is better when he's on the field because he is also a better pass-catching back. And then the final point about this game, the thing that blew up Twitter – all damn night was on the Buda Baker interception. I was sitting there going, pick six, it's 14-13 Arizona, and like something out of the damn Tecmo Bowl, here comes this gray blur and a 6'4", 229-pound freak, DK Metcalf, 
hit the second highest speed that's been tracked this year, or third in the NFL from every single player at 22.64 miles an hour and ran down Buda Baker, one of the best defensive players in football, stopped him at the five or six yard line, and Cliff Kingsbury didn't kick the field goal to make it 13-10, went for it on fourth and go, and basically saved a touchdown. And they had Buda Baker mic'd up on Twitter, and it's on Twitter now, and they've got it bleeped out. And they, he was like, how in the F did that guy catch me? Like, I mean, he was freaking out about it himself. But that's how special Metcalf is. But this was a great game. I loved it. I thought it was awesome Sunday night football. But, yeah, Seattle got exposed. And I think other teams are going to look at that blueprint and figure out how can we gash them on some of these plays. And I think that people are going to do it with a balanced attack. And so, for me, watch out. NFC West, Arizona is five and two now. They're coming off of, uh, they're going to come off a bye, and they've got a pretty solid schedule that I think they're at least going to get to eight, nine, maybe ten win games, and I think they will be a threat in the playoffs. And can we just talk about Kyler Murray and the whole Josh Rosen and everybody talking about? Oh, you just took a quarterback with the tenth pick and turn around a year later. Cliff Kingsbury knew what he had in Kyler Murray, and he's letting him do that. And that was the only thing that I questioned, Brad, was why. You did not continue to let Kyler Murray win the football game in that moment. And on a second down, go in and try to kick a field goal with two minutes and 47 seconds left in overtime and Seattle having two timeouts. I have no idea why you do that there because there's always a chance that you miss it or it gets blocked. You give Seattle way too much time. Both teams had already had a possession. Seattle would just need to go down and get in the field goal range and win the game with a field goal. So if it's me, I would have put the foot on the gas pedal and kept going and let him score a game-winning touchdown. But they still came out with a win because Seattle choked. They're just not a good football team on both sides of the ball. So I'm going to be interested to see what Seattle does moving forward and if they are able to make any adjustments. And in this trade deadline that's coming up with buyers and sellers, are they going to be buyers? Are they going to give up the farm on some draft picks and some players to go get help on defense? Because I don't think they can win the Super Bowl unless they make their defense better, Brad. Yeah, I agree with you completely because at this point – there's nothing schematically that they can do to improve that defense enough for them to get over the hump. And I think you're right. It's it's not the X's and O's. It's the Jimmys and Joes. They got to add some firepower on that side of the ball. And like we talked about with Dallas needing to be a seller, this is a team that needs to be a buyer because the offense is awesome. And this team is really good on that side of the ball, one of the best in the league. If they can make some stops, they don't have to be the 85 Bears. They just need to be average. If that defense was even middle of the pack average, they'd be a legit Super Bowl contender in my mind. But because they have so many holes and they're so bad on that side of the ball, I just can't put them in contender status. And you're right. If they move some draft picks, I think it'd be worth it. I think it'd be the right time to do it, to go after some guys to bolster this team on the defensive side, certainly. But I wanted to touch on two things real quick. For one, I've got to eat some crow here, Chad. Last year on this podcast, I did not believe in Kyler Murray, and I didn't believe in Cliff Kingsbury. I really didn't think this was going to work, and I banged on these guys. I banged on that draft pick. I didn't think a quarterback who's shorter than my girlfriend could play in the NFL at a high level, and I definitely didn't think that a coach that failed in the Big 12 could be a high-level NFL coach. But, man, they are really starting to prove me wrong. This team is starting to look really good, and I've been impressed with them. And the other point I wanted to talk about was Chase Edmonds. I think from a fantasy football's perspective, Chad, he's going to be a hot waiver wire pickup because I'm with you. He's got to be the guy moving forward in Arizona. He looks great in that offense. He's a playmaker, and I think he's going to have a really good season moving forward. So what do you think about him being maybe the top waiver wire pickup this week, Chad, or at least the top running back. What do you think? I don't care if they're on a buy. He's number one. And in my league, I have already looked at uh, where I can use fab money. And that's the beauty of fab. If you want to go for it, you go for it. I'm basically getting ready to spend about 90% of my remaining budget to go get him. I saw enough in that one game to say, all right, this is the guy moving forward and he should be the guy moving forward. And I think Cliff Kingsbury and that coaching staff had to see the same damn thing. And when they watch the film this week, they're going to go, hmm, okay. Even even when Drake comes back, because they're slated to think that he's going to miss maybe two or three weeks, even with the bye, that's going to be Chase Edmonds' team now. So I'm going for it. I don't care what running backs I've got in my staple. Stick the dude in the flex spot. 
So if you're not number one on the waiver wire in your league, you're probably not going to get him. And that goes back to the point a couple of weeks back of can you try to find ways to move up your waiver wire so if a guy like that is available and not in deeper rostered leagues, you can go get him. But if he's an available in leagues and it's fab money, figure out your budget, figure out where you need to save those 2 or $3 to go get the $1 kickers and the $1 defenses if they've not had their buys yet and stick this guy on your damn bench. And I think he's going to produce, and I think he's going to produce in a big way because the thing about Murray that makes him so special on that offense, and I think that's what complements Edmonds better than Drake, is Edmonds, you could see, he just fundamentally looked better with his footwork and the ebb and flow when and where he needed to get out of the way and move out when Murray was moving out of the pocket. And then you just dink and dunk to this guy, and it just opens up the field. Now you got a Christian Kirk who's healthy. You've got D Hop who's just a stud. Houston, do you still want to talk about the trade? Okay, I didn't think so. We'll we'll move on. And Larry Fitzgerald is still being Larry Fitzgerald in that slot, getting those four, five, six catches, moving the chains. This is a legit football team. They've got the offensive line help that they need. And man, can we talk about the Isaiah Simmons pick? A guy that we talked about at eight, part of that D Hop trade that didn't happen because. Houston didn't get a first-round pick. The kid is getting better each and every week, and you saw that athletic display that everyone said, this guy's a freak. This is the type of guy that comes around about once every 10 years, and when he fell to Arizona at eight, you and I both mock draft and everything and all that. When it happened, we talked about draft recap. We were like, holy shit, Arizona got a great player, and he's starting to prove that week over week. And so I like Arizona. I'm all in. I had him going over on the win total earlier this year. I think you did as well. I don't think anything stops him from getting eight, nine wins and getting to the playoffs. Yeah, which is really impressive because, like you stated earlier, this division is really good. So eight or nine wins in this division is really, really impressive. And you guys heard it. Chad is opening up the fab money. He's opening up the wallet to go after Edmonds. So if you guys have a chance to make sure you put him on your roster, if possible, he is going to be a playmaker for sure. But we've got a big game to break down here, Chad, the biggest game of the week is once again involving the Pittsburgh Steelers 6-0. and They survived a scare last week against the Titans, but they managed to hang on to the win. The Ravens coming off a bye. They're 5-1. and They're a three-and-a-half-point favorite at the time of this recording, Chad. And after missing both matchups last year, Big Ben is back. For this heated rivalry game, the Ravens, like I said, coming off that bye, they had a little extra time to prepare. The Ravens opened as a five and a half point favorite, but the sharp money seems to be pouring in on Pittsburgh. And now that line, like I said, is down to three and a half Ravens, minus three and a half Ravens. The Steelers ran 18 more plays than the Titans did last week, and they converted 13 of 18 first downs. If it wasn't for the three turnovers, Chad, the Steelers most likely win by double digits, and the Ravens allowed a big comeback by Philly in Week 6, barely hanging on to beat them. And Lamar Jackson, he just hasn't looked like the same player this year. Under 200 yards passing for four straight games, averaging 17 completions for only 189 yards a game. This is an intriguing divisional matchup. What do you make of this one, Chad? Uh, it's a great matchup, Brad. You're right. Sharp Money has already moved that line to full points. That's some big dollars going on Pittsburgh. This goes all the way back. I'll just give my one little bit of rant here. And talking about a Lamar Jackson, a guy that came in with so much hype from that amazing draft last year, I mean, season last year, and looking at getting him as your QB2 in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, then by week two, week three, you're like, God, I got to start this guy. He has come back to earth. He's actually, I feel, shown some regression. And these people that have been burning into the first round, early, mid, second round on this guy, because they're like, I got to go get him, man. He's not going to be here if I come back third and fourth, man. He's going to be gone. I got to have him a quarterback. Yeah, guess what? There's a ton of quarterbacks that you could have taken later in the draft. Probably could have gotten Big Ben in the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th round of your draft. And he's got as many fantasy points as, as Lamar does. I think Pittsburgh did probably take the foot off the pedal a little bit. They probably did think that, okay, we've got this game under under control here. And they did let Tennessee come back. Steven Goskowski shanked another field goal where that game would have been going to overtime. You know, that's a that's a big deal when you start talking about you've got to be able to close those games out. I still think Pittsburgh is the most complete team in football because they are so good on defense. 
and Big Ben is healthy. He's got weapons, a healthy James Conner walking all the way into week eight. That's a huge plus. They've got depth with Benny Snell in the backfield. You've got Juju getting involved again after a couple of weeks where he was a little bit absent. You got Claypool, you got James Washington. Deontay Johnson is back from his uh, back injury. And then I think he missed the week before with a concussion. He had two touchdowns. Pittsburgh is going to be able to continually keep moving the football. And you cannot say that about the Ravens. Mark Ingram's banged up. Is it going to be Gus Edwards? Is it going to be Jake Dobbins, uh, J.K. Dobbins? There's a lot of little things out there that you're like, hmm, I mean, who? what is their identity right now? I don't think they have one on offense or defense, Brad. Lamar Jackson is going to have to finally step up big and step up big, big time in a game like this at home. Yes, they're the favorite. We talked about them being favored in all 16 games. That doesn't matter to me. I have been reluctant to buy in on Pittsburgh. I'm not saying I wasn't a big Ben fan or a Steelers fan. I just was like, prove it to me. And okay, guess what? You have Pittsburgh. I'm done. I'm all in. I'm with you. I'm going to, it's it's sink or swim. My ride or die. I'm taking Pittsburgh in the points here. Tell you ahead of time right now, even though you guys have been fading my pick six pitch, which was the right thing to do, I'm taking Pittsburgh in my pick six as well. Because anytime I'm getting over a field goal there like that, I'm going to take the points. In a game like that, that's that closely contested, Brad, and I think Pittsburgh is going to make more stops on defense than Baltimore will make more stops. And so, therefore, I think the edge goes to Pittsburgh with the weapons they have because Baltimore just doesn't have that. Mark Andrews has taken a little bit of a regression. We talked about him in the 10 touchdowns last year. He's kind of been non-existent this year, not nearly as I mean important as a part of the offense as he was last year. So what is the Ravens' identity right now? I don't think they have one. Maybe they get it right off this bye week, and they come in and they play really well. But for me – this, along with a, uh, the AFC and the Kansas City Chiefs, this is going to be who's dominant going into week nine, week 10, who's going to take over the reins in that division, and who out of one of these two teams is most likely going to be in the AFC championship, most likely facing Kansas City, barring any crazy injuries and stuff. So this is a big weekend. I'm going to have my popcorn ready. This is probably going to be a five on the popcorn score unless Baltimore fails to show up again like they did in the Kansas City game. But I'm taking Pittsburgh in the points, but I'm definitely going to be watching this one. Yeah, Chad, for sure. Get your popcorn ready, no doubt about it. And it's funny because I was going to ask you what your popcorn rating was going to be on this one, Chad. This is a huge game. I mean, this is big. This is big in the AFC North, of course. This is big in the AFC. These are two heavyweights going at it. Two great coaches, two great franchises, teams that really resemble each other in a lot of ways as far as their identity. They want to play smash mouth football. They want to beat you up. They want to be physical. But I like what you said, Chad. Pittsburgh just has more dynamic playmakers at wide receiver. They have more of a passing attack than Baltimore does. Baltimore really relies on that grounded pound game. And that's the one thing that Pittsburgh really does better than anybody is slow down the run. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to get the running game going and keep the chains in their favor, to keep themselves on schedule, getting them in third and longs. A lot like I said a couple weeks ago when they played the Browns, that was my big takeaway in that game, was that if you get Baker Mayfield in third and long and you can take away that running game, is he good enough to beat you? I feel the same way about this game, and you're right about Lamar Jackson. This guy really hasn't developed. I was not really high on Lamar Jackson coming out of college and last year he put up the huge numbers, but it was such a unique offense that was so hard to prepare for with all the RPOs and the designed quarterback runs and the ground and pound game that opened up the play action pass. He had a lot of easy throws because of the running game being so dominant. You had to load the box and you had to commit to the run. It opens up those passing lanes. We talked to Matthew Stevens about the Baltimore Ravens. He covers the Ravens for USA Today. We talked to him in the offseason about this team, and that was one of my big questions going into this season was can Lamar Jackson take that next step? Can he, be, can he really show us that he's a legit pocket passer? And right now, I'd say the answer is no. And I don't think he's shown enough development, like you said, to really prove that he's a legitimate threat to beat you with his arms. And I think Pittsburgh knows that, and they're going to load up to stop the run. And if they can do that, I like their chances in this game as well, Chad. The Baltimore Ravens were a three-point favorite. I'd probably take Baltimore at home here. But getting that three and a half, I'm with you. I'll take the Steelers here. Don't feel great about it. But the other thing I like is the under. 
This is a rivalry that almost always hits the under. It's almost always low scoring when these teams get together. So I like the under as well in this game. And you touched on Mark Andrews, and I wanted to get your take because I kind of like Mark Andrews from a fantasy perspective in this game, but there's not a whole lot of other guys that I feel great starting in this one. What's your fantasy take in this game? Is there anybody in this game that you feel maybe could break out in this one or you feel good starting, Chad? I don't. Not on the Ravens' side. I mean, Hollywood Brown's been non-existent. He's not had those big, huge, over-the-top plays this year, and they don't have any other identity on that offense. I think from a DFS or from a – if you're just deep and you've got injuries and you've, you've got Ingram and he's not 100%, you can maybe try to put a J.K. Dobbins in or a Gus Edwards. I just don't think it's a good play because Pittsburgh will stop the run. They just stopped Derrick Henry, really. I mean, he had the – 70-some yards and a touchdown. That's a mediocre game for Derrick Henry after the way he's been running the football lately. But on the Steelers' side, I definitely think you got to look at Deontay Johnson. I think Juju's getting involved. He had nine targets for 85 – I mean, nine catches on like 12 targets for 85 yards. They they tried to kind of shut down uh, Chase Claypool. But I actually think a sleeper play this week is going to be James Conner. I think Pittsburgh is going to spread the field, putting three and four wide receivers out, maybe utilize Ebron. And I think, I think James Conner is going to be able to run the football and be effective and get some goal line work. But back to your point about Baltimore and not having the weapons, I think Baltimore has recognized that this year. Yeah, he's 31. He's missed two years of football. But Dez could be good in that offense. He could give him that big-bodied receiver that they don't have. I think them bringing in a guy that's not played football in two years, even though he was great at one time, had the injury with the Saints and – that, that was, a, I mean, a big blow with the Achilles, but he's come back again. So I love the guy's grit. I love the guy's fortitude to stay with it. But that might be kind of a writing on the wall that the Ravens are like, man, we don't have anything on the outside. We don't have any weapons. We don't have any threat. And, I mean, what, what's your take on them signing Dez to the practice squad and maybe in a week or two this guy's suiting up and playing? I mean, they must have felt like they needed something to go get a guy like that that's just sitting there on the street selling hot dogs. Yeah, Chad, it's a stinky, stinky cologne called desperation because you're right. They are desperate at wide receiver if you're bringing in a Des Bryant. And I'm with you. I, I definitely applaud the guy for sticking with it and fighting to get back into the league. But if you're signing Des Bryant, that is a big red flag that the organization, like you said, they know that they are weak on the outside if they're bringing in a guy like this in the middle of the season. So I think he could help them. I don't think he's going to be much of a a big play threat, especially at this point in his career. But I do think he could be a guy that maybe is a chain mover. A lot like we've seen with Larry Fitzgerald transitioning in his career now, an older guy who just, he's good for those eight yards, seven yards when you need it on third down. I think he could be a reliable big body guy who could move the chains for you, but as, as far as dynamic and, and being a guy that can maybe push this team over the top on offense, I don't see it. And yeah, Chad, it's it's fascinating for sure. And I'll be interested to see what kind of impact he can have, if any, with Baltimore. But but yeah, it's definitely it was definitely an interesting move for sure when I saw that on Twitter this week. But Chad, it's that time again for the PGF Power Rankings. Always fun to see how these things move around and shake out. I've made some big changes. I know you have as well. We always do. So why don't you tell PGF Nation who you've got, Chad, in your top 10 for this week? Okay, you're correct. Tons of changes. It's like a chessboard. Pieces and teams are always moving based on how well you play, how good you look, and and what passes the eye test. And so I'm going to start with 10 this time. And I've got the Browns at 10. I mean, they're they're sitting here. They're a solid, legit football team. They beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not an also-ran football team now. They have been in almost every game they've played this year, and they're tough. Joe Burrow is the real deal. T. Higgins is the real deal. I think when they get Mixon back, they're going to be even better again in these coming weeks. But I like what the Browns did. I like the fact that the Browns found a way to win this game. I don't think the Bengals are an inferior opponent. I think they're a really good football team. So I like what the Browns are doing. They're still continuing to run the football. We'll see what kind of adjustments they make without OBJ. But kind of crazy as it sounds, they played better and looked better when he came off the field. I hate it that he had the injury. But Rashard Higgins stepped in big time 
and gave them that wide receiver that they didn't have. But he started finding other weapons, so I like him moving forward. They're going to get Chubb back in a couple weeks, makes it even better. I've got the Rams at nine, legit football team. Hey, they beat up on the Bears. The Bears, God, whatever that was last night on Monday Night Football, that's abysmal. They've had four or five straight games now where they've not even rushed for over 65 yards in the game. But I like the Rams. I like what they're doing. They're at nine. I've got Arizona at eight. I love this win. I want to get them higher, but there's other teams that I just think are still a little bit more complete. They got that win, but they got that win against a team with a really, really bad defense. So I want to go see them beat a complete football team on both sides of the football, and then you'll get even more street credit. But, yeah, you're still 5-2. and two. You're in a tough division with the NFC West, but I love what I'm seeing out of the Cardinals and Murray and Kingsbury and that group. Tampa Bay at 7. I, they could even be in the top five right now, Brad. They're that good. I think they're that complete. I mean, you go back and look at the Bears outlier with all the penalties. They have cleaned all that up. I think Tom Brady is leading this team now the way that he wants to lead the team. And we talked about all the way back with that Saints game week one. I just thought like week one, they wouldn't click yet. And I took the Saints in that circa millions at minus four and everybody jumped all over Tampa because they thought Brady was just going to walk right in and make it happen. It takes time. No preseason, but man, are they looking like a complete football team now? And that defense is legit. And I think they're going to continue to punch people in the mouth. I got the Titans now at six. A great football team. I think they're really solid. I think they showed a lot in that comeback and uh, trying to tie that game up with Pittsburgh. But I want to see more out of Tanning Hill. I want to see more out of that defense. That defense is not stopping people. They gave up 36 a week before to Houston. Pittsburgh really walked straight up and down the field multiple times on them. And so I want to see Tennessee get better on defense. But I like Tannehill. They need a healthy A.J. Brown and a Derrick Henry to, to move the football on offense. But, I mean, they're a good football team. So I want to see them rebound this week and see what they can do. Dropping Seattle all the way to five now. I've got Green Bay ahead of them at four. But Seattle drops all the way to five. And until you prove to me, even at for six and one, that your defense is going to get it done, I'm not sure I'm going to move you up. I might even, if you keep winning, but you keep looking that bad on defense, I may move you down as other teams, even with two losses, move up because they look like they're a more complete football team. Seattle has to get it figured out on defense. Brad, you've knocked on them from day one, and I think it's warranted. And I don't know if they're going to get better. Green Bay's at four. I mean, yeah, they beat up on Houston, but, man, they look really good. When you've got a healthy Devontae Adams on the field with Aaron Rodgers, watch out. The guy's arguably the best wide receiver in football. Yeah, there's no Michael Thomas right now. Uh, but, I mean, Green Bay is legit. I think they're good enough on defense that they can get the job done, especially in their division. But that offense with Rodgers, they're getting Aaron Jones back this week. Probably A.J. Dillon was very serviceable. Jamal Williams is legit. They're going to get Alan Lazard back here shortly. I just like what they're doing. I've got Baltimore. I've moved them up to three. Yeah, they didn't play their own bye week, but this is the week. This is this is Tennessee and Pittsburgh last week were one and three. I've got Baltimore and, and Pittsburgh one and three because I, I think offensively they can right the ship. If they don't get it done this game, then they're in trouble. And I think that defense has got to step up. I don't know if they can stop Pittsburgh with the weapons that Pittsburgh has, but Baltimore needs to find their identity. So this is my week to say, all right, you go get it, Baltimore. You get it done at home against Pittsburgh this week. You're going to get a lot of street cred. But if you don't, you're going to have to figure it out, figure it out in a hurry because you've already had your bye week. So there's no time for the weary. you got to turn around and strap up and play somebody the next week after that. And they get Pittsburgh again three weeks later. I've got KC at two. Yeah, they beat up on Denver, but, man, they look really good. That defense, it's kind of Jekyll Hyde sometimes. Sometimes that defense looks amazing. There's other times where I'm like, where's the defense? No Chandler Jones here and there. I mean, Chris Jones, I'm sorry. And so you wonder sometimes, what is their true identity? Are they going to run the football? Are they going to throw the football with Mahomes in his arm? He's got the weapons, so they're just going to continue to just, I think, play down to the competition and just win and get it done. And then, of course, I've still got Pittsburgh at number one. They won again. They're a legit complete football team. I love what that defense is doing with Dupree, with Minka, with Watt. They're they're punching people in the mouth, and they're not taking names, and they're not apologizing for it, and I love it. Big Ben said at 38 or 39, his 17th, 18th year in the league, his arm feels better than it's ever felt in years, and he's showing that. He's putting the ball down the field when he needs to, but he's also hitting those wide receivers, and you've got Claypool, Washington, Johnson, Juju, that's hard to stop that when you've got a good, solid running game with a great offensive line and you got Connor and Snell in the backfield. Uh, watch out. Pittsburgh's going to be hard to beat. But, yeah, I've got Pittsburgh at number one, Brad. What about your top ten? I love it, Chad. I love it. Like always, you make great points, no doubt about it. And at number ten, 
I've got the Buffalo Bills. Now, they've been a little shaky the last couple weeks. I almost left them out of my top 10, but I still think this is a pretty good football team overall. I expect them to bounce back. If they don't, they're going to fall out of this top 10 quickly. That's for sure. For me, though, Buffalo's biggest shock this year, I should say, is the defensive struggles. I've talked about it on earlier episodes, but this is a team that was really, really good defensively, and they have taken a big step back, and it's really hurt them, especially in the last couple weeks. And if the Bills are going to turn it around and go after that AFC East title, this defense has got to get better. They don't need to be as good as last year, but they got to be better than they've been recently. Allen has taken a step back. He hasn't looked as sharp as he did in those first few weeks, but I still think it's a pretty good team overall. I think they've got a good coaching staff, and I think they're going to be competitive the rest of the way, and that's why I've got them at 10. At number nine, I've got the Arizona Cardinals. Four and two, they've won seven of their last 10 games going back to last year. The Seahawks make everyone look great, and that's why I'm not going to pump this team up just too much yet, but it was a good win, a very good win against an undefeated Seahawks team, and they looked good doing it. This offense is dynamic. Like we talked about, the defense is still a little shaky for Arizona, and they're a little bit hot and cold, but I really like what I'm seeing from this team, certainly looking more and more like a playoff team every week. At number eight, I've got the LA Rams. I like what I'm seeing from this team, and I like what I'm seeing from Jared Goff. The run game and the offensive line and defensive line are both playing well, probably playing better than most people realize, and they're number two in scoring defense. So this team is starting to look like a pretty good team on both sides of the ball. They really beat up the Bears the other night, and I've just been impressed what I've seen from them. There's there's certainly a team that is going to make some noise. They're going to be a tough out for just about anybody, and McVay is still one of the best young coaches in this league. So I've got the Rams at eight. At number seven, the Seattle Seahawks. Like we've talked about, I never really fully bought into them because, like we said, outside of Dallas, maybe, this is the worst defense in the NFL, and they're just simply not a contender because of it. So I'm, I've never been quite as high on them. I was even having a hard time putting them in the top five when they were undefeated because that defense is so bad. The offense is good, and they can put up a lot of points, but... I just don't think you're going to win shootouts week in and week out in this league. And like we saw against the Cardinals, if Wilson isn't perfect, they can get exposed. So I've dropped them down to seven. Still a, a still a dangerous football team, but, but not a contender in my eyes. At number six, I've got the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers with four touchdowns and no interceptions. He's still a part of one of the best offenses in the NFL. The defense has some holes but they can rush the quarterback and they can make enough plays. I worry about this team going up against those physical type of teams. We've talked about this as well. The Buccaneers really punched them in the mouth. If you look at last year, the 49ers and some of these teams that are physical and, and play bully ball can really punch this team. They're kind of finesse a little bit. And I, I don't love that about Green Bay, but I think overall they've got enough weapons and they've got enough playmakers that they're going to be a tough out for anybody in the NFC. At number five, I've got the Tennessee Titans. Now, the Titans were getting blown out by the Steelers by 20 points at one point. It looked like it was they were going to run away and hide, but I got to give them a lot of credit like Chad talked about earlier. This team really fought back and almost forced overtime with that missed field goal. They would have forced overtime. The defense is shaky. They really don't have a pass rush, and it shows up on third down. It showed up again versus Pittsburgh. They just aren't able to generate any type of a pass rush, and that's why they're so bad on third down defense. That's a stat that's a bit alarming for them. So I think the defense has held them back a little bit, but you've got to love the running game. In Tannehill, like we talked about last week, this is a legit quarterback. A lot of people, myself included, Really hesitated to give this guy credit. I thought it was a mirage there for a while. Going into last year, I just didn't think it was sustainable, but he has really proved me wrong. He's been a very solid quarterback for the Titans, and he's now 14-5 and in Tennessee as a starter. So I'm starting to believe in him as well. This offense is legit, and with their physical brand of ball, they're also going to be a team that's going to be in the playoffs this year, and they're not going to be someone you want to play for sure. At number four, the Baltimore Ravens. 
Not selling my Ravens stock just yet. They're the number one scoring defense. They're the number one rushing offense. They've got a great roster. They've got a great head coach. We talked about Lamar. He is limited as a thrower. I would have liked to have seen him improve this year at this point. I would have liked to have seen him take those steps forward. But this is still a very dynamic team, especially because his ability to run with the football. And we've got a measuring stick game that we previewed here, obviously. And it's going to be big because if Baltimore can take care of business against Pittsburgh, then this team may just be more legit than we realize. But I still think they're going to be a team to be dealt with in the AFC. At number three, I've got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's right. I think Tampa Bay is the best team in the NFC. They're the number one team in the NFL in point differential, yardage differential, sack differential. They're number two in the league. They've got speed on both sides of the ball. The offensive line has started to gel. It was a little shaky earlier in the year, but they're starting to look really good. Brady has been upright the last couple weeks and getting very little pressure on him. But the defense, like we talked about, they are elite, and they can get after the quarterback on the other side of the ball. I also like some of these young corners. They're starting to come into their own. Antoine Winfield Jr. is an absolute stud safety. They've got playmakers. So this team is starting to look every bit like a contender. And when I look around the NFC, I just don't think there's a team better than Tampa Bay right now. And that's dangerous because Brady is coming after another ring, guys. So watch out for Tampa Bay. At number two, I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. The offense has become more balanced, and that's bad news for the rest of the AFC. The defense is sneaky good. Like you talked about, Chad, they made a lot of big plays last week, and they're starting to show up in a lot of these games. And when you've got a team like that that is so dynamic on offense, the defense just needs to be good enough, and they certainly are. Le'Veon Bell does add some depth at running back, and I think that's necessary coming into the cold months here. We're getting into the back half of the season when the weather starts getting a little worse. It's a little bit harder to throw the ball over the field. And so the running game becomes more and more important as you push into the playoffs. And with Kansas City being able to run the ball like they have and show that balance, they've just become really, really dangerous. A team that, quite frankly, already was dangerous. So I really like Kansas City. I think they're every bit capable of winning it all again. And at number one, the Pittsburgh Steelers as well for me, Chad. This is the most complete roster in the NFL. It's the most talented roster. They don't have any holes. The defense is probably the best in the NFL. The offense is crazy deep at receiver. The line is good. They've got tight ends now that can play. Ben's playing at a high level. Tomlin's a heck of a coach. Everything is working in Pittsburgh. Now, granted, they almost blew that game against Tennessee, but they managed to hang on. I think they did kind of let their foot off the gas there. Ben made a couple throws in that game that were errant. There was a bad throw in the end zone that got picked off that I was shaking my head saying, why is he throwing that ball into coverage like that? For a veteran quarterback, you don't like to see that. But overall, they're just so tough. If you try to take away Claypool like the Titans did, you're going to get burned by one of these other guys. They've got Deontay Johnson, like you said. Washington's probably their worst receiver, and he'd probably be a number two guy on most rosters. They're just loaded at the playmaker positions. The running game is legit. Pittsburgh is legit, and this is a team that has Super Bowl aspirations. There's no doubt about it. I saw a fascinating stat, Chad, on Twitter that going into that game versus Tennessee, it was only the fifth time in NFL history that two 5-0 teams played each other in week seven or later. And of those matchups, the prior four times they played, the winner in that game has gone on to the Super Bowl. So this is starting to look more and more like Pittsburgh could be headed towards the big game, but the AFC is deep. Kansas City is definitely not going to be easy by any stretch, and we're going to find out a lot more about Pittsburgh when they play Baltimore this week, but that is it for my PGF Power Rankings. And Chad, it's time to talk some fantasy football, something that you're as good at as anybody, the fantasy football expert on this show. So it's that time again for What's on Tap with Chad Smith, brought to you by McKenzie Brewing. Find them online at mckenziebrewing.com and Twitter and Instagram at McKenzie Brewing. 
What do you got for us this week, Chad? I'm going to get my futures bet in uh, on the Pittsburgh Steelers, even if that price has moved a lot to win the Super Bowl, because I love that stat. That's actually really interesting. Another week is in the books. So here is what I'm just going to say first and foremost. This is another public service announcement. We talked about Tubin last week with the, the Zoom. But if you've seen that, it's quite a while back that movie the day after tomorrow when dennis quaid calls the guy up in the in the thing and he goes save as many as you can it's one of those scenes where if you own stock right now in any dallas cowboy doesn't matter who it is doesn't matter if it's your favorite team i don't care if you've got a dallas cowboys star tattooed on your ass it's time to dump and also dump any new england patriot that you have and really and truly get anything you can in return i I, brad i'm not sure if a single Dallas player in the foreseeable future. And I'm talking, I don't care if you took Ezekiel Elliott at one, two, or three in standard or PPR and didn't take Barkley or I me mean, or, or CMC or, or took Elliott at three. I'm really not sure even he is startable. Golly, Cam Newton. I don't, I mean, yeah, he had COVID. I hate it. But damn, these last two weeks, I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know what's going on with the Patriots. Edelman's a shell. No James White, no Harris. Sony Michelle's on IR. I mean, Nikhil Harry might be borderline bust right now. There, I mean, Gallup, Cooper, Lamb, it's, it's just, it's abysmal right now. So I'm not sure who you can start. Seriously, legitimately look at making a trade if you can make a trade because it doesn't do you a bit of good to put somebody in a spot hoping that they're going to produce when they're not. And then it also doesn't help you one bit to just burn a spot on the bench for two or three or four weeks waiting to see Dalton. I mean, he's not playing. So who, who are you going to start on Dallas? That's really what it boils down to. Update on Circus Survivor. I went with the Los Angeles Chargers. That was my week seven pick. I really just looked at the schedules and just said, man, I just don't know if there's another spot that I can use him. Was it scary as hell taking a one of four team that had lost three straight leads of double digits and to watch him go up 16 to nothing and then look up, they were down 29 to 22? Yeah, but sometimes risk comes in when you got to take a team. Sometimes luck comes in. But I was talking with one of my best friends and I'm sitting here in week eight. I still have Buffalo left, Tennessee left, Green Bay left, Kansas City left, Pittsburgh left, New Orleans left, San Francisco, Seattle, Philadelphia, Tampa Bay. I've got many, many really good teams left. So it's time to start mapping out. And this Survivor Millions is a circuit contest is down to like 352. So this week, I I hate to do it, but I'm really, because I I think they're a great football team and they're better than their two and four record. Because if you look at it, they played some teams really close. Probably going to look at taking Philadelphia this week against Dallas. They're at home. Then they have a bye week. But I looked at Philadelphia's schedule. I'm not sure there's another place, even though I think they're the best team in that division. I'm not sure, Brad, there's anywhere else that I could use the Eagles. So sometimes you just got to, again, put the pick in, submit it, hold your breath, hope they win, and move on to the next week. We talked about Chase Edmonds already. There's some other players out there, Rashad Higgins. DJ Dallas might be a nice little sleeper pick because all of uh, Seattle's running backs are banged up. Carson's out, Hyde's out, Travis Homer. You're not going to start him. So he might be a guy that you can go get on the cheap. And then when it comes to daily fantasy, this week, I think one of the must-starts, and that's Devontae Adams. Even at $9,100, he's going up against the Vikings. The Vikings are abysmal against the pass. I don't care if this is a division rival. I'm putting Adams in my lineup because he's worthy of it. He's warranting that high-dollar salary. But, I mean, Minnesota is averaging giving up almost 300 yards a game passing. So maybe you stack him with Rodgers. Two other quarterbacks that you can go get. I like are Joe Burrow and Derek Carr. They've got good matchups against good teams. Carr 7,300, Burrow 7,600. You can pair them up with Tyler Boyd or Nelson Aguilar is only $5,000. Great value in Tyler Boyd at 6,400. But, I mean, from that wide receiver perspective, I'm looking at those guys. Ayuk might be a nice little sleeper pick. He's going up against Seattle. Seattle's – how long have we been banging on Seattle's defense? I mean, Debo Samuel's out. Ayuk's going to step in and probably get a little bit more look, maybe some jet sweep and some other stuff. He's only $5,900. You also got to definitely look at Kittle at $7,700 in that lineup going up against Seattle. Gosh, Amadi, he, he he should tread them. You got Walter at $6,800. Buffalo on defense at $4,500. I think it's a good value this week with him and who they're playing. 
And then a couple of other running backs that I like are uh, Jonathan Taylor at 7,300 and actually Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 7,800. I think he's going to have a really good game this week because I think the defense is not going to carry the game like they did and you're not going to have those horrible conditions. And I think he's going to get touches. I just don't know if Le'Veon Bell is going to take the carries away from him that people think. I think he's still a borderline RB1 to a solid RB1. But, I mean, there's some great value this week with fantasy. I think you've got to look at getting Devontae Adams if you do anything else because Minnesota, they're just terrible against the pass, and I think he is going to shred them. That's it for What's on Tap this week with Chad Smith, but anytime anybody has any questions, please don't hesitate to DM us. We'll walk you through it and help out any way we can. Yeah, definitely, Chad. And if you want to tweet Chad directly, you can get him on Twitter at ChadSmithPGF. Always welcomes your questions there. But I wanted to comment on some of your takes here real quick. I like the Brandon Ayuk pick versus Seattle. They're a punching bag on defense. He's an explosive playmaker. Like you said, Debo Samuel being out, he's going to get a lot of looks. I think they're going to generate a lot of offense through him. And Seattle, quite frankly, couldn't stop me at wide receiver. So, yeah, he's going to have a big game. I love that pick for sure. I also like the Devontae Adams pick. Like you said, he's got a big price tag. But I think he's going to produce because that Minnesota secondary, it got rebuilt this season and it just hasn't worked out for Zimmer and the Vikings. I think he is going to have a big game. I expect him to get in the end zone and get a lot of targets from Rodgers. So I like that pick as well. And as far as Eagles and Survivor, perfect time to play them. The Cowboys are terrible. The Eagles are getting healthy. I think they steamroll Dallas. Dallas is probably going to have a, a third string quarterback, a, a guy who small school guy who was like seventh round draft pick. They're going to get crushed. So I like that pick as well with the Eagles and Survivor. But great stuff as always from What's on Tap with Chad Smith, brought to you by McKenzie Brewing, our friends over at McKenzie Brewing. Love those guys. Thanks for sponsoring the segment all season long as well. But it's time to make our picks, Chad, the betting side of things. It's that time for pick six. I went three and oh for the first time since week one. I've had three straight winning weeks here. I'm starting to heat up after a little bit of a slow stretch there. I know you didn't fare as well, but overall, you've made some great picks, Chad, and I'm excited to hear who you've got this week. Well, Brad, I know PGF Nation has been fading me the last two or three weeks. Those things need to happen because, hey, sometimes the picks just don't go the way you want. Uh, you have been on fire, muy en fuego, with your picks and uh, continue to keep that up this week, I'm sure. I already mentioned it earlier, plain and simple, I'm taking the three and a half points with the Steelers until they prove that somebody is capable of beating them with a complete game. And I just don't know if Baltimore does it coming off this bye with the identity that we talked about that they really don't have right now. So, I'm, I mean, I'm getting more than a field goal. I don't really care if it's on the road. Pittsburgh can win at home or on the road. I'm taking the points. I'm laying the six and a half with Green Bay against Minnesota. I think Aaron Rodgers and that offense shreds the Vikings. They just really, even going into their bye, didn't look good. I don't know if Dalvin Cook's back yet. Alexander Madison couldn't carry the load as a RB1 that week. He, he just completely underperformed. So without Dalvin Cook, I think that game gets out of hand. They win by 14 or more. And then even though they're on the road, and the Giants have showed some promise in the last couple of weeks. The Tampa Bay train is got charcoal, wood fire coal. It's on infrared. It's on nitroglycerin. It's like fast and furious. They're getting ready to hit the nitro boost. They're going to go into MetLife Stadium and they're going to absolutely just piss on the Giants. And so Tampa Bay's laying 10 and a half. I would lay it up to almost two touchdowns because I just think they're going to be that much better than the New York Giants, even though I think they're going to try to get better. They're a decent football team. That division's horrible. But uh, until somebody proves to me that they can slow down Tom Brady, slow down that offense, and that and and keep that defense out on the field longer by being able to convert third downs and put more points up with an offense with the Giants who really haven't scored more than 20 points in a game this year, I'm taking Tampa Bay in the points because they're going to put up at least 35. So that's my three picks for the week. Brad, what do you got? I love it, Chad. I love it. I'm expecting a big bounce back week for you with those ones for sure. And for me, Chad, I've got my first game. I'm taking the Colts laying the three points versus Detroit. Colts are coming off a bye week, extra time to prepare. The Lions are coming off two straight wins on the road. So they're coming in in a perfect letdown spot. And I think the Colts defense can slow down the Lions. Plus, I don't think the Lions 
can stop the run. And I think the Colts are going to have a heavy dose of the running game. That's what Indy wants to do in this game. It's also a coaching mismatch. So I like the Colts in this game, just laying the three versus Detroit. My next game, I'm taking the Denver Broncos plus three versus the Chargers. Home dog, divisional game, Chargers coming off a big win. Broncos just got embarrassed, and the public is all over L.A. Now, Drew Locke sucks. I, I just I don't have a lot of faith in him, which makes me a little nervous. But give me the points in this one in a divisional game. Like I said, at home, I expect Denver to have a really good showing here after getting punched in the mouth. And I think the Chargers are kind of riding high, and it could be a letdown spot for them there. My last game is I'm going to take the Bears getting four and a half points at home. Bears at home, off an embarrassing loss. The Bears defense should be able to pressure Breeze. I think they're going to have a, their way with this offensive line. I think Breeze is going to get a lot of pressure from that Bears pass rush, and I think it could make this a tough game for the Saints to be able to move the ball. Plus, the Saints secondary is getting lit up, and I do think Foles should be able to bounce back against this bad Saints secondary. So I've got the Bears in this one versus the Saints. And that is going to do it for this week's pick six. It's also going to do it for this week's edition of Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking it out every week, PGF Nation. We love you guys, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.